number one of london ancient and modern this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter one london from the sanitary point of view part one situation water supply medieval london in considering the sanitary condition of a great city like london it behooves us to remember that it has been a place of importance since the days of the roman occupation of this country that is for some fifteen hundred years a place that has been peopled for centuries is very apt in the absence of special precautions to become unwholesome by reason of the vast accumulation of refuse roman london is many yards beneath the surface of the present city it has been deeply buried and by what by refuse and debris from every source and this in itself is necessarily a danger to health and doubtless has in times past greatly tended to produce many of those diseases for which medieval and even modern london was noted situation the situation of ancient london was most convenient for commerce and fairly good from a sanitary point of view the advantages of its situation have been dwelt upon by many writers and were well summed up by edward chamberlain who thus spoke of it in his present state of england sixteen eighty two a work which was analogous in many respects to the whitaker's almanac of the present day chamberlain says quote, in the most excellent situation of london the profound wisdom of our ancestors is very conspicuous and admirable it is seated in a pleasant evergreen valley upon a gentle rising bank in an excellent air in a wholesome soil mixed with gravel and sand upon the famous navigable river thames at a place where it is cast into a crescent that so each part of the city may enjoy the benefit of the river and yet not be far distant one from the other about sixty miles from the sea not so near that it might be in danger of surprise by the fleets of foreign enemies or be annoyed by the boisterous wind and unwholesome vapours of the sea yet not so far but that by the help of the tide every twelve hours ships of great burden may be brought into her heaving bosom nor yet so far but that it may enjoy the milder warmer vapours of the eastern southern and western seas yet so far up in the country as it might also easily partake of all the country commodities in an excellent air upon the north side of the river for the villages seated on the south side are noted to be unhealthy in regard of the vapours drawn upon them by the sun but roughed by gentle hills from the north and south winds the highways leading from all parts of this noble city are large smooth straight and fair no mountains or rocks no marshes nor lakes to hinder carriages and passengers chamberlain in speaking of the thames is as well he may be loud in its praise quote, the river whereon is seated this great city for its breadth depth gentle straight even course extraordinary wholesome water and tides is more commodious for navigation than any other river in the world this river opening eastwards towards germany and france is much more advantageous for traffic than any other river of england to say nothing of the variety of excellent fish within this river 
above all of the incomparable salmon the fruitful fat soil the pleasant rich meadows and innumerable stately palaces on both sides thereof in a word the thames seems to be the very radical moisture of this city in some sense the natural heat too for almost all the fuel for firing is brought up this river from newcastle scotland kent essex etc or else down the river from surrey middlesex etc after dwelling on the shipping and commerce of the thames he concludes his article on london by stating quote, that london is a huge magazine of men money ships horses and ammunition of all sorts of commodities necessary or expedient for the use or pleasure of mankind that london is the mighty rendezvous of nobility gentry courtiers divines lawyers physicians merchants seamen and all kinds of excellent artificers of the most refined wits and most excellent beauties for it is observed that in most families of england if there be any son or daughter that excels the rest in beauty or wit or perhaps courage or industry or any other rare quality london is their north star and they are never at rest till they point directly thither a writer of a much earlier date william fitzstephen who in eleven eighty prefixed an account of london to his biography of thomas a becket has also some remarks about the situation of london from which i will make a quotation quote, on the north are cornfields pastures and delightful meadows intermixed with pleasant streams on which stands many a mill whose clack is so grateful to the ear beyond them an immense forest extends itself beautified with woods and groves and full of the lairs and coverts of beasts and game stags bucks boars and wild bulls the fields above mentioned are by no means hungry gravel or barren sands but may vie with the fertile plains of asia as capable of producing the most luxuriant crops and filling the barns of the hinds and farmers round the city and towards the north arise certain excellent springs at a small distance whose waters are sweet salubrious clear and whose runnels murmur o'er the shining stones water supply this final remark of fitz stephens leads me to make a few observations about the water supply of ancient london which originally was abundant and excellent it is probable that in prehistoric times the rising ground upon which the city is built was an island the thames in those days being much wider and shallower than at present even a writer so late as fitzstephen mentions the fact that moorfields was used for skating and the derivation of the name london which finds most favour with philologists is from the celtic lindin which means the lake fortress many watercourses ran from the north into the thames the names of which are still attached to districts or streets in the metropolitan area thus beginning at the east one has to mention langburn a watercourse flowing through what is now langburn ward in the city making its course from aldgate through fenchurch street and probably flowing into the wall brook 
a stream which divided the city into nearly equal halves and flowed from moorgate to dowgate through the bank of england and the poultry and the name of which still remains in a ward and a street the river fleet rose from highgate ponds and meandered through st pancras to king's cross where is battle bridge thence its course skirted the western side of clerkenwell and flowed at the foot of saffron hill snow hill holborn hill and ludgate hill reached the thames at blackfriars farther west was tyburn which rose at hampstead and flowed through what is now the ornamental water in the regent's park then becoming locally known as marybourne its name was associated with the village of marylebone it then took the circuitous course of what is now marylebone's lane crossed oxford street opposite the end of davy street crossed brook street which was named from this fact then flowed at the back of bond street to bruton street in bruton street is a curious circuitous mews which marks its course running to the southeast corner of berkeley square whence the tyburn struck west dividing devonshire house from lansdowne house where now there is a sunken passage between the garden walls thence it reached piccadilly at its lowest point and flowed through the green park to buckingham palace here it divided and reached the thames near vauxhall bridge to the west and near westminster bridge to the east a smaller delta formed by the eastward branch forming thorny island associated with the palace of edward the confessor and the monks of st peter's abbey the westburn also rose at the foot of the northern hills flowed through kilburn and bayswater both suggested names through the serpentine to knightsbridge another suggested name and so to the thames at chelsea bridge apparently forming by its course the western boundary of the grosvenor estate these watercourses have all disappeared because in this christian country there is no respect for the purity of pure water they became so swinishly filthy that for very shame we have covered them up and when the time arrives for covering up the thames which we are so systematically fouling in the same way i have no doubt that our engineers will be equal to the task it is very interesting to follow the course of these old streams and it will be found that the explanation of the circuitous course of some streets such for example as marylebone lane is explained by their following the line of a forgotten rivulet nothing can give us a better idea of the change which has come over london than to go into the city and search for walbrook or langburn or to come west and look for the tyburn at the end of the conduit street and follow its course thence to piccadilly i hope that those who amuse themselves by taking such a walk as i have advised will ponder well upon how much we have lost by being obliged to cover them and why we were obliged to cover them and will take a lesson from these reflections if he does this his time will not be wasted in a district so intersected by pure streams it was an easy matter to have a well of good water and throughout london there were many such wells good water in fact abounded on every side and it is noteworthy that the romans have left us no remains of gigantic aqueducts such as they knew well how to construct for the very good reason that they were not necessary 
the first public watercourses were the conduits in cheapside and cornhill those in cheapside were supplied by the tybern the water of which was captured near what is now stratford place and conducted to the city in leaden pipes lamb's conduit was another the name of which remains this was at holborn bridge a bridge over the fleet and its water came from fields near the foundling hospital there were many other conduits and it must be borne in mind that local names ending in well generally indicate the position of a neighbouring water source when these watercourses were open london was a very different place the lord mayor kept his pack of hounds in those days and in agus's map made in the reign of elizabeth one may see the dog-house in finsbury fields for the lord mayor was lord of the manor of finsbury and here he had his kennels and frequently he would go a-hunting and when he made his tour of inspection of the conduit heads at tyburn he took his pack with him and combined business with pleasure stripe records that in fifteen sixty two they hunted a hare here and having dined at the suburban banqueting-house in stratford place they started out again after dinner and killed a fox how much inspection the watercourses received on these occasions is not certain the first waterworks in london were those constructed by master peter morris a dutch engineer in fifteen eighty two his plan was to utilize the enormous force with which the thames rushed through the nineteen narrow arches of old london bridge and for this purpose the corporation granted him a lease of the first arch on the city side for five hundred years at a rental of ten shillings a year and two years later the second arch was given on similar terms in seventeen o one a third arch was leased to a grandson of morris and at this time the proprietary rights were sold to richard soames a goldsmith for thirty six thousand pounds who converted it into a company of three hundred shares of five hundred pounds each in seventeen sixty one a fourth arch of the bridge was given to the company and two other arches were closed to give additional force to the water-wheels the passage of the narrow arches of the bridge was at all times difficult and the process of shooting london bridge with a fall of some five feet through the arch was not without danger this blocking of the bridge caused great complaints but nevertheless the company continued to ask for more and with success so that in seventeen sixty seven the first five arches were occupied with immense water-wheels and two arches on the surrey side were similarly occupied we gather that the company at this time also possessed a fire-engine the last wheels were put up under the advice of brindley and smeaton the wheels were of the undershot variety and by their power two thousand gallons of water per minute were raised to a height of a hundred and twenty feet through a pipe which passed over the tower of st magnus church these wheels continued in use for two hundred and forty years until eighteen twenty two when the act for rebuilding london bridge caused their removal the pumping machinery was of its kind excellent but the mains were very defective and there was much loss by leakage and leakage also caused great damage to the bridge the chief mains ran in bishopsgate street 
cheapside aldgate fleet street and newgate street the fact that the london bridge waterworks were in use until eighteen twenty two is important as showing that the thames water up to that time was not so grossly impure as to preclude the possibility of distributing it for household purposes without filtration it is not conceivable that such a course could be adopted at the present day the impurities of fleet ditch were due to slop water and to material negligently thrown into it and it was probable that only during a sharp shower when the filth of the street was washed into it it reached that state of impurity which swift has described water-carried sewage as we understand it was not then in common use and cesspools were not allowed to empty into the sewers and public authorities were not expected to relieve individuals of responsibility and to undertake duties the satisfactory accomplishment of which is impossible the first of the great water companies was the new river constructed by sir hugh middleton and opened in sixteen thirteen this was a conduit on the old pattern but on a larger scale and did not involve the use of pumping machinery it brought the water of chadwell spring in hertfordshire which is a hundred and ten feet above ordnance datum to the new river head at clerkenwell whence it was distributed through the city many additional sources of water have been added to the original chadwell spring and many powerful pumping engines are now in use by the new river water company which is still the biggest of eight metropolitan companies the areas supplied by the different water companies may be briefly indicated the new river supplies the northern part of the metropolitan area the east london which dates from sixteen sixty nine supplies the northeast the kent which dates its early beginnings from seventeen o one supplies the southeast the Southwark and Vauxhall in its present form dates from 1845, the Lambeth from 1785, the Chelsea from 1723, the Grand Junction from 1811, and the West Middlesex from 1806. These eight companies supply about 140 million gallons of water daily, about one-half being from the Thames, to six hundred and sixty eight thousand five hundred and twenty five houses by means of a hundred and forty five engines of seventeen thousand one hundred and forty five horsepower through four thousand sixty eight miles of mains and by the aid of a capital of thirteen million one hundred and fifty thousand three hundred and eighteen pounds it is difficult for us to appreciate such a quantity as a hundred and forty million gallons but we may grasp it better if we imagine this water put into one million four hundred thousand water butts of one hundred gallons each and each four feet high these butts placed end to end would reach considerably more than a thousand miles and that be it remembered is a statement of the daily water supply of this city which is certainly well within the mark the great fault in the situation of london was the proximity to it on every side of marshy land the thames as i have stated was formerly much wider than at present 
certain it is that moorfields to the north was often flooded to the immediate east and northeast was marshy ground stretching into essex to the west was the low district of thorny island chelsea and fulham while on the opposite bank of the thames was the ground around southwark and lambeth which was little better than a swamp and remained unbuilt upon except to a very slight extent until the end of the last century ague is at present a rare disease in london although one still occasionally meets with cases which are apparently due to local causes formerly it was a very potent cause of death but the discovery of the use of jesuits bark as chinchona was at first called and the gradual and continuous filling up of the soil combined with drainage led to its extinction possibly the impregnation of the soil with coal gas may have helped to this end medieval london medieval london was a town in which the clerical element predominated i have upon the screen a very beautiful drawing which appeared in the builder newspaper and which is an imaginative and authoritative reconstruction of the london of henry the eighth by mr w h brewer whose great talents will be obvious to all who look at his picture london at that time must have been exceedingly beautiful filled as it was by grand ecclesiastical and monastic institutions the artist's point of view is from some coin of vantage east of the tower in front of him in the middle distance forming at once the centre and apex of the picture is old st paul's with its lofty steeple towering to a height of five hundred feet and placed on an eminence which enhances its commanding importance to the left is the noble river its broad expanse dotted with many a craft and forming a superb sweep to the south-west where it is lost beyond the abbey of westminster which forms the most distant object to the left of the spectator the chief feature in the foreground is the tower a noble mixture of military palatial ecclesiastical and domestic architecture beyond it and to the south is old london bridge probably the most picturesque structure of the kind that the world has ever seen with its quaint houses and graceful chapel and with the clear water of the thames roaring through its nineteen narrow arches on the south side of the bridge is the church of the priory of st mary overy st saviour's southwark as it may still be seen and near it the great palace of the bishops of winchester with the marshy ground of southwark and lambeth and lambeth palace in the distance running northward from the tower is the castellated city wall with its brimming ditch filled with water flowing from the shallow lake of moorfields between the wall and the spectator is a series of grand ecclesiastical buildings with st catherine's hospital to the south and st mary's spittal to the north and between them eastminster or the abbey of grace the abbey of st clare in the manories and the church of st botolph behind the city wall is seen a bewildering wealth of tower and spire and gabled roof by the river bank among wharves and quaint medieval warehouses st magnus steeple the stern towers of baynard's castle and the buildings of the blackfriars are conspicuous while in the same direction and beyond the fleet river is bridewell park 
the huge tower of the white friars the temple st dunstan's church exeter house arundel house the savoy and york place along the eastern limits of the city are st dunstan's st margaret patton's all hallows barking and the great minster of the friars of the holy cross and the still larger priory of the holy trinity in aldgate near bishopsgate is the large establishment of the augustinians and beyond this again the grey friars the priory of st bartholomew the charter house and the priory of st john clerkenwell in the centre of the city is an almost endless array of parish churches with here and there the high-pitched roof of some guild-house or the residence of a nobleman or wealthy merchant End of number one.